0: Hey guys, welcome to RUF, Reformed University Fellowship. If you don't know what reformed means, then that's fine. Um, I'm Chris, uh, campus minister. It's really good to see you. Welcome, especially if you've not been here before or you've only been here a few times. It's good to have you. It's okay that you don't know what reformed means. That's fine. Um, That's not the point. Um, uh, Whether you're a Christian or not, you are welcome here. We want RUF to be a place... Regardless of where you are on the spectrum religiously, that you can feel safe to just explore this stuff with us at your own pace. So, welcome. Um, Tonight we're going to be in John chapter 21. As I said, this is the last normal RUF of the the semester. I'm feeling a bit nostalgic all this time here together. Um, So, we're drawing uh, our series to a close tonight. We've been doing a series called Questions God Asks. And. just been the, just been looking at questions uh, in, in the scripture that God asks people. And uh, tonight, uh, well, the, the first week when we started, basically our premise was, you know, God pursues bad people, moral failures, he comes after us, um, that really the only kind of people that God is interested in is really screwed up people. And I think, you know, throughout the semester we've kind of seen that over and over again. Um, and tonight... Uh, As we wrap up, I want to look at this last question that Jesus is asking Peter and look at the. um, So we've seen God pursues screwed up people, you know, he saves messed up people. But what about when you become a Christian, you know, like you give your life to Jesus and um, but then after that, you do something really bad. What do you do with your sin, with your failure after you already belong to Jesus and you're supposed to know better? Um, what does God think about that failure? And that's what we're going to be looking at tonight in this story with Peter. Um, so turn to John 21. Yeah, it's up on the screen. Um, just some context before we, we get going. Uh, John, 21, tw- John 21 is the last chapter in John. Um, and really everything in John has wrapped up already in chapter 20. Uh, Jesus is crucified in, in 19, and then he, he uh, is resurrected in chapter 20. And really, like, everything just kind of, like, closes up and everything's done. Um, but John 21 kind of comes in like the director's cut special edition, you know, surprise extended uh, ending. Um, like, that was, like, that last chapter of Harry Potter, right? And it's just like the story's over, but it's like, oh, what happens to all of our favorite friends? Um, and uh, when, speaking of... Uh, Not Harry Potter, but Lord of the Rings. um, They're the same thing. And um, I will wait for you to calm down. Um, When I was a senior in high school, the Fellowship of the Ring came out. And you guys are like, I don't even remember when the Fellowship of the Ring came out. Um, And I went to see it with my high school girlfriend at the the theater. And um, as you know, probably, the Fellowship of the Ring is the first of three lord of the rings movies and um so we went to see the movie and it was great and it was epic and super long and um at the end you know it's like the fellowship is there and they're like looking down over middle earth you know and it's like this epic music and then it goes to the black screen and immediately this guy in the front stood up and he was like you're kidding like that's it like clearly he did not know that there were two other subsequent movies after that and that's a true story um I'm like why are you even here? It's like the midnight showing. Like how did you not know that? And because um, that would really be a bummer, right? Like what happened to all of our friends and like the ring and like evil in the world? Like what um, what happened? Um, if John ended his gospel at chapter twenty, there would be one major loose end that he had not tied up, and that is Jesus's relationship with this man Peter. Um, so John wraps it up in verse uh chapter. Twenty-one with this question and answer between Jesus and Peter. So let's look at that. Uh, John 21, we're going to start reading in verse 1, but we're really kind of focusing on 15 through 19. So uh, listen, this is God's word, believe it or not. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathanael of Cana in Galilee the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got in the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. And he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it. And now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John. That disciple whom Jesus loved, therefore, said to Peter, It is the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far off from the land, but about a hundred yards off. And when they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire In place with fish laid out on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared to ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so would the fish. He said to him, Tend my sheep. And he said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. This is the word of the Lord. Let's ask his blessing. Uh, Father, we thank you again for your word. Lord, we thank you for this semester that you've carried us through this series. Lord, and we give you thanks um, that you engage with us, that you are not some unseen, distant Lord. Um, Lord, but you are very active. You're active in your word. You're active with engaging us, asking us questions. Lord, um, you desire to hear from us, uh, which amazes us. Um, Lord, tonight we desire to hear from you. Uh, Would you come and be with us in your word, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, So basically tonight, this is just a tale of failure and restoration. A person that has failed and someone that has been restored, and I hope... That through this story, we can find confidence as failures, that God will accept us and that God will restore us. So, really, just as our roadmap, just two points. I want to look at the burden of failure and the beauty of restoration. So, the burden of failure and the beauty of restoration. So, first, the burden of failure. Um, here's why this would have been a cliffhanger. So if, if you were reading John and you, had no, you, and you had kind of been keeping up with what was going on and it ended, you would have been thinking, what happened to Peter? That's what I want to know. you know, you got to tell me what happened with Peter. All right, so here's Peter's story. Uh, Peter really screwed up. He did something really, really stupid. Um, Peter was one of Jesus' disciples, so that meant that he was one of Jesus' followers. And Jesus had a lot of disciples. He had hundreds of disciples maybe even. But he had a certain group of 12 guys that were called the 12. And um, they were closest with Jesus. They were his closest friends. And of the 12, so Jesus' closest friends, he had three that were really, really, really close to him. Peter, James, and John. There's certain times in the Gospels where Jesus does something uh, spectacular and he only brings Peter, James, and John to see it. So they were Jesus' literally his best friends in the world. And uh, no one had to tell tell, uh, Peter that he was special. No one had to tell Peter that he was awesome, because Peter already knew that he was special and awesome. Um, You know, it's funny, like, I I was telling people, oh, we're going to talk about Peter, and they're like, oh, I love Peter. You know, because Peter, if you read the Gospels, is really one of the most lovable, if not the most lovable characters in all of the New Testament. um, Because he is, like, really... bounces back and forth between being this amazing and just, like, deep and, like, getting everything right and then, like, being really, really, really stupid. Um, but he was always going to 90-do-nothing. He was full of confidence. Um, and actually, Peter's name wasn't Peter. Peter's name was Simon. So you might be like, why are we talking about this Peter guy There's a Simon person in the text? Um, his nickname was Peter uh, because Jesus, Jesus nicknamed him Peter, and Peter means rock, so Peter was the original the rock, and um, <laughs> that's right, and, uh, and so, so Peter, but the, Jesus called Peter the rock because Peter was the only one that had the guts when Jesus said, remember we looked at that passage, who do people say I am, and Peter's the one that says, you're the Messiah, Peter's the only one that had the guts to say that you're the Messiah, and so Jesus called him the rock. Um, because th- he had a foundation, he knew who Jesus was. Uh, I love Frederick Beekner says this about Peter's name. He says, a rock isn't the prettiest thing in creation or the smartest, which is very true about Peter. And if it gets rolling in the wrong direction, watch out. But there's no nonsense about a rock. And once it settles down, it's pretty much there to stay. There's not a lot you can do to change a rock or crack it or get under its skin. And barring earthquakes, you can depend on it about as much as you can depend on anything. Peter was like the confident, reliable, like the head of the apostles in a lot of ways. He was the solid one. And the thing that was most, that Peter was most confident about, about himself, was that he was totally sold out to Jesus. He was totally committed to Jesus, even when everyone else wasn't, Peter was always there. Mark says this about Peter, and this is where Peter starts to get into some trouble. Jesus said to them, you will all fall away. He's talking to the twelve. You will all fall away. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. And listen to what Peter says. Peter said to him, even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, truly I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But Peter said emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. So Peter's saying, like, even all these scrubs, you know, these scrub disciples, these losers, if they all fall away, I will not. Even if I have to die, I will not abandon you. I will not deny you. But when Jesus this very night, because imagine that Jesus is right. Um, uh, I love Jesus always saying something. Peter's like, no, 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 no. That's not going to happen. Uh, Jesus is like, oh, you know, it's amazing how patient Jesus actually is with Peter. But that very night, uh, Jesus is, is having his trial, this terrible sort of kangaroo court, and he's being um, condemned, and a little girl comes up to Peter. He's like, kind of like away, and he's watching. A li- literally, a little servant girl comes up to Peter, and she's like, hey, weren't you with Jesus too? And he's like, I, he actually says, I don't even know what the words you're saying mean. Like, what are the words that are coming out of your mouth? Um uh, but a little girl, like he doesn't even have the guts. He was the one that said, Jesus is the Messiah. Now he doesn't even have the guts to tell a little girl, yes, I know who Jesus is. And then someone else, the girl starts spreading it around. Someone else asks. And he says, no, 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 no. And then it says this, after an interval of, a, of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, certainly this man was also with him, for he too is a Galilean. So basically it meant that Peter had like this sort of hick accent, really, seriously, Um And it gave him away. But Peter said, man, I do not know what you're talking about. And immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Peter talked a big game. He was the one that was never going to deny Jesus. And now, when he had skin in the game, when Jesus needed him, when Jesus needed an advocate more than he had ever needed an advocate, Peter denies him. He turns his back on him because he's afraid. Because you can imagine, right, if you were Peter, like this guy's getting turned over and like beaten and they're going to crucify him. Like you don't want to say I was with him either, right? Because what might happen to you? So Peter gives in to fear, and betrays Jesus, and it's a terrible feeling to be betrayed, I mean, it's kind of like a big word, maybe you don't know what it's like to be betrayed, but someone to kind of stab you in the back, do something they told you they weren't going to do, it's a bad feeling, but maybe even a worse feeling is being the one that has betrayed someone, I don't know if you guys have ever done that, if you've ever, like, told someone, I would never do that, like, I would never date that guy, yet here we are, you know, um, (laughs) And there's this like this this terrible feeling, you know, this sick feeling in your stomach um, because you can't take it back because it's already it's already happened. Uh, when I was nine, um, at the height of my brilliance, uh, Street Fighter was really big. Street Fighter Two. When I was nine, okay. I have some guys' interest in the room now. And um, for Halloween, I wanted to be Ryu from Street Fighter. He's like the the ultimate like awesome guy in Street Fighter. He's like this kind of like a karate with this white. Anyway. Um, and so I wanted to be Ryu, and I had, like, the white pants, and, like, the white, it was, like, a robe with, like, the red belt and, like, the red headbands, you know? And, um, and, but, you know, you can't, like, go, Ryu didn't wear shoes, and you can't, like, just go out, like, trick-or-treating with no shoes. And all I had was, like, these terrible, like, Fila, remember Fila? Is that still a thing? They still make shoes? Okay. Um, like, these Fila sneakers, and they were awful, and Ryu would never wear Fila sneakers. So um, my mom, it was just me and my mom, uh, I was raised just me and my mom. And uh, and so she and she worked a lot, but anyway, um, she had these moccasins, and I was like, you know, Ryu, if he had to wear shoes, they would clearly be like moccasins, and uh, they were perfect, and you know. So I uh, I asked my mom, I said, Mom, can I can I wear these moccasins for Halloween? And she said, No, they had this like some kind of sentimental value, some excuse, um, like she was fifteen, and someone gave them to her, and they had died or something, you know, like some something lame, and. Um, <laughs> And so I was like, okay, sure. And I was like, well, I won't, I won't, I won't use them. But she went to work that night, so uh, seeing my opportunity, I went to the closet, I got the moccasins, and I wore them. But the only problem was when I got out, some friends of mine were, and I were like, there was a caulk gun, you know, and we were playing with it, and like it popped like all over the moccasins. And um, if you know anything about caulk, it doesn't really come off; it's it's on there for good. And um, and so I got caulk all over these moccasins, and it was a, I mean, it's a terrible feeling, right, It's like, my mom, she's, like, literally working nights to, like, you know, to support me and, like, all this, and, you know, I, I did what I told, what I told her I wouldn't, I wouldn't do, um, and I really betrayed her in a lot of sense, and, um, messed up her moccasins, but, anyway, I still feel terrible, um, I feel like I need to call my mom now, um, uh, but maybe if, if you are a Christian, like, you would call yourself a Christian, maybe you felt like that because you've done something and you went, Lord, like in the heat of the moment, you're like, I'm never, ever going to do that again. Like, this feels so yucky. I just, I never want to do this again. And you pray to God and say, I'm done. And then the next occasion comes up and you're right there again. And really the thing about college is like, it's a really heightened time for like sin patterns like this. Like whether it's like looking at stuff you shouldn't on the computer or talking about people in a certain way, or engaging in sexuality in a certain way, or engaging with alcohol in a certain way. You tell God, "Like, I'm not going to do that again," because you know it feels bad at the time, usually, or, or the next morning it feels bad. Um, but there you are, you're back at the computer, looking at the same sites. Um, you're hooking up again because you're afraid that if you say no, that they will like leave you and they won't want to be with you anymore. Um, Or uh, you're saying yes to more drinks because if you say no, then you won't be accepted in this group anymore. Maybe they won't want to be your friend anymore. Or or you talk about someone in a certain way because, you know, only by putting someone down do you feel good about yourself. And if you're not putting someone down, you start thinking about yourself and you start feeling bad about yourself again. And you tell God, I'm not going to do it. But then there you are again. And if you have done that and you know a bit of that feeling, that stomach feeling, because it's really easy to say after it's done and really mean it, Lord, I don't want to do this again. Um, And if you've done it again, you know what it feels like to be Peter. You know what it feels like a a little bit to be Peter. And you know the burden, how it does feel burdensome to fail Um, morally. It feels like a burden. Uh, But take heart because Jesus wants to come in to take that burden of failure and show us the beauty of restoration. So the beauty of restoration. Um, So back to where we are in the text here. Um, This is actually the first time that John records that Jesus talked to Peter after Peter denied him. Um, And it's interesting. It says that... that it's, it's It's funny, like, the little, like, details in a gospel story. Like, it says there's 153 fish. You're like, why? Why? I mean, which is a good... It's like... Because there was actually 153 fish. And it's like this is good reminder that this thing actually happened. Um, but John says that Jesus has a charcoal fire going. And this is actually the same kind of fire that Jesus was looking across at to Peter before. Jesus, uh, Peter was warming his hands around this fire when he denied Jesus. And it says that Jesus looked at him. And now Jesus is looking at Peter across a charcoal fire again. Like these things are going to start to add up. That Jesus is taking us back to that moment. So imagine that you're Peter, put yourself in his sandals. um, And uh, that was a cheap cheap joke. All right. um, Yeah, thank you, Footsie. So you're sitting around this fire, right, with your best friends. And one of your friends, you know, well, interestingly, died and then rose from the dead. Um, So there's that angle that many of us don't know how that feels. I hope. And uh, so you're sitting there, and, like, you've betrayed one of your friends, but, like, no one wants to talk about it, right? So there's just, like, this sort of awkward tension, you know, like, worse than, like, the middle school lunch table, you know? Um, Because there's this thing between you and this other person, and everybody knows, but nobody's talking about it. So ladies, take heart that this thing happens to men, too. Um, And imagine what must be going through... Peter's mind, right? Because Jesus hasn't talked to him about it. He hasn't addressed him about his denial. So if you're Peter, you got to be sitting there thinking like, okay, this is awkward. Um, This is hard. Like Jesus is there. And like, clearly Jesus isn't kicking me out of the group. Like I haven't been hit by lightning um, or anything, but like, there's no way that Jesus feels the same about me now as he did when I was, like, confessing that he was the Messiah and everything was great. Like, I know Jesus is going to keep me in the group, but, like, does he want to? Or does he just have to? Um, does he love me, or is he just putting up, putting up with me? Um, these things had to be going through Peter's mind. And, like, in the swirl of all this insecurity and uncertainty, Jesus looks at Peter, and he says, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? it's interesting, he doesn't call him Peter, right? His special name. He calls him Simon again, right? Because the thing that had made Simon Peter, a rock, was confessing Jesus. And now that he had denied Jesus, he doesn't have that foundation anymore. Um, so Jesus asked him, do you, it's interesting, he says, do you love me more than these? By these, he means the other disciples. Like, hey, do you love me more than the rest of these guys love me? What do you think you remember what Peter said? Even if they all fall away. I will not. So he's saying, do you love me um, more than these other disciples do? And Peter's answer is really honest. Um, he doesn't say like, no, Lord, I haven't loved you enough. He says like, yes, I do. Um, you know that I love you. Um, it's, a hum- it's actually it's a very humble answer. And so he says, okay, tend my lambs. Okay, That's nice, right? Because Peter was a shepherd. You know, like people in ministry, they call him shepherds. So he says, okay, you love me, feed my lambs. And then he t- asks him again, do you love me? He says, yes. He says, tend my sheep. And he asks him a third time. And that's where it gets really, really hard for Peter. Um, it actually says, Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? Because Jesus just like went went there, you know. Um, he asked him three times, three questions for three Denials. He basically just brought up the thing that everyone was thinking about. He just highlighted the fact that Peter denied him. Uh, he's, he pointed out Peter's failure. Um, and you just can, can kind of imagine, like, you're sitting there, like, the other disciples are, like, looking into the fire, like, they don't want to make eye contact with Jesus or Peter. They're not really sure the outcome. Um, you know, Peter is, I mean, he's got to be like, looks, looking at the ground, right? I mean, like, what do you, where, do you, where do you look, you know? Uh, Jesus is looking at Peter across this fire. Um, but notice what Jesus didn't say. Jesus didn't say, hey, Peter, I know what you did, but hey, man, don't worry about it. Like, we're good. You're still in. Um, because as we've seen, I think, hopefully through the semester, that's not how God deals with sin. Our sin is a bigger deal. Like, when we have a problem with somebody and, like, we just want to be like, hey, you know, like, hug it out, it's not a big deal, like, we won't talk about that, right? Like, we don't need to talk about that, it's in the past, I hear that all the time. Um, uh, Jesus doesn't do that, okay? So he doesn't say, it's just in the past, we won't worry about it. He actually brings it up, and, like, brings it up in a very poignant and emotional way for Peter. But also, Jesus doesn't say, Simon, son of John, do you know that I love you? Simon, son of John, do you know that I love you? Simon, son of John, do you know that I love you? That might be what we expect Jesus to say, like, You know, Peter's down and out. He just needs to hear over and over again that Jesus loves him and things will be okay. But the reason why Jesus doesn't say, do you know that I love you? is because Jesus' love for Peter never changed. He doesn't have to recommit himself to Peter. Remember, Jesus is the one that said, you're going to deny me three times. He knew from the beginning what was going to happen. If you've ever seen that really cheesy bumper sticker um, that says, if you feel far from God, guess who moved? It's so snarky. I don't know. It's not a big fan of that one. Um, but it is true. If someone is far from God, if someone is a Christian and they're far from God, they're the one doing the moving. Peter has done the moving away from Jesus because Jesus' love never changed for Peter. So the question is, why would Jesus bring it up? Why does Jesus feel the need in front of all these other people to bring up Peter's failure? Like, why can't he just let it go? Um, and I think the reason is this. Jesus is completely honest with Peter, and he points it out as if to say to Peter, Peter, do you love me? Like, no. Even in the, in the midst of that terrible, terrible failure that I'm pointing at here in front of everyone, Even with that in your past, do you still love me? Can you still love me? He's basically pointing at Peter's shameful moment and saying, even with that, will you love me? Or will you keep that thing, will you let that thing keep you from loving me? Can you love me even though you are a failure? And that we're all being honest about that. Um, You know, it's, it's not what we do. We don't just not bring it up and pretend it's going to be all right. Jesus brings it up in order to make it all right. Jesus goes all the way down into Peter's really like his biggest screw up of his life because he wants to bring Peter all the way back up. It's a total restoration. Um, he goes right down into it. And if, you, if you're like me, um, when you screw up, you do something that you thought, you know, I'm never going to do that, and you do it again. The biggest lie that I start to believe is that God loves me because he's obligated to. Like, like you know, he liked me when I, was do, when I was doing things better, but now, like, he loved me and he liked me then, but now he just loves me. He doesn't like me anymore. Um, that something in God changes. Uh, and, and, like, I tend to think, like, Jesus died so that God would have to love me even when he doesn't want to love me. Um, maybe, you've, maybe you've felt that, that way, too. Um, a preacher named Brian Habig, he was talking about this, and um, he said, it, sometimes it, it feels like God is saying, you know, I gave you all this wisdom, and my word, and the church, and other Christians, and I just really would have thought you would have been farther along by now. You know, it's like the dad, it's like, you know, I'm not mad, just disappointed. You know, it gives you that look, that disappointing look. Um... <laughs> Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever felt like, you know, God saved you and then He had these great expectations for you, but then, like, you kind of screwed up and He's like, you know, I guess I got to hold on to this one because Jesus died for them, but I really wish I didn't have to. They should be farther along by now. They're supposed to be doing better by this point. Um, and what we see here is Jesus going all the way into Peter's failure, never flinching about it. He always knew about it and he wants to bring peter totally totally out when i was an ref intern um i was talking with a student about romans 8 and uh, there's this great passage in there uh, for i'm sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation what will be able to separate us from the love of god in christ jesus our lord i remember this guy was a freshman And he looked at me with tears in his eyes and he said, you know, I read that passage and for the first time I realized that nothing can separate me from Jesus. And that means even I can't separate me from Jesus. Um, My failure, my screw up, my lack of growth can't separate me from Jesus. Um, If you belong to the Lord Jesus tonight, you can't fail out of that love. You can't sin so bad that he will give up on you or just keep you around, but just kind of like put you on the shelf and stick you on like the the JV team. Um, Jesus' love toward you cannot change. Um, And he isn't afraid to go all the way down into your failure. He isn't afraid of your failure. Neither should you be. Um, I got a text from someone the other day whose name I will not mention because I don't want to embarrass her. And... um, she, she texted me and she said um, one of the things that she had learned through her time in college was that God doesn't use my mistakes to make me feel like a failure, but to point me to Jesus and his work on the cross. God doesn't point out our failures to make us feel like crap. So they'd be like, you know what? And you better believe that even though you suck, I still love you and like feel bad about that. Feel really crappy about that. He doesn't, he doesn't do that. He, he points out our failures to drive us to Jesus. Uh, and that's good news, whether you're a Christian or you're not, or you're not yet a Christian. Um, because that means that whatever you've done and whatever you might do, you can still be loved by God. Um, God points out our failures as if to say, I still love you even though you've screwed up. Will you still love me even though you've screwed up? I've seen nothing wreck someone's life like a, fail, like, a, like a mistake that they've made and they just cannot turn it off. No, they'll never love me again. He'll never love me again. The beauty of restoration is that Jesus gives us the opportunity again and again and again to recommit our love to him. And he never stops giving us that opportunity. Um, so if you screwed up tonight or you feel cold, towards God or you feel distant or you haven't put your faith in Jesus, I, I want you to imagine Jesus looking across that fire at you. Um, and I want you to hear Jesus speaking across that fire or speaking from that computer screen or across the bed or across the bar. And I want you to see Jesus looking at you and I want you to hear him saying, can you still love me? Will you still love me? And uh, to end the, you know, our semester and the series, um, I just want to leave with one more promise. Uh, it's not totally related, but sort of. Um, if you feel cold towards God, and I, I know, like, look, David Bazan, who I love, his music, and you're probably tired of hearing from him, um, uh, he, he, he has a line, he says, I still have never seen you, and some days I don't love you at all. And it's a very honest statement to God. If you feel like that, if you're like, you know what, most days I just go through the motions and, like, I don't really love God like I, like I want to. Um, I don't feel that warmth toward him. I don't feel that excitement. Um, you know, this, and this is a promise for those of us that, like, when we read the Bible for 10 minutes, we're like, oh, my gosh, God. I made it 10 minutes. But, like, you could kill three hours on, like, GTA or Pinterest. Um, or... That, like, you, that, you, know, you just get energized about anything else, intramurals, whatever it is, but you just, like, can't seem to get energized about, like, the gospel. You're like, I know it's supposed to be important, but, like, I really just want to watch America's Next Thought Model. Um, uh, if that's you, and if that bothers you, as I'm sure it does most of you, I want to read one verse from Deuteronomy 30, which is not where you thought we were going. Um, you're like, Deuteronomy... Never heard of it. Um, Listen to this promise that God makes. When he comes back, this starts now, but when he comes back, you know how we say he's going to put everything to rights and he's going to make all the sad things come untrue. Listen to what, what it says God will do. And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart, like he will cut off part of your heart, he will cleanse your heart. The Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. If you belong to Jesus and you feel cold toward him, God's going to fix that. He's going to fix your heart. He's going to fix mine. And that's good news. So uh, let's, let's love him. Let's pray to him. Uh, Father, we thank you that um, we have hope. Um, Lord, indeed, that the sad things will come untrue. Uh, Lord, we have hope uh, that our best days are not behind us, Uh, but the best uh, is yet to come. Lord, we give you thanks for that. We give you thanks that it's secure in you. And Lord, we thank you that you abide with us. Lord, when we're living and when we're dying, you're with us. When we are just on fire, um, knocking down doors, Lord, that you love us and then we are in the depths when we just want to do nothing more than deny you because it would make it so much easier for us. Lord, thank you that you abide with us. Lord, teach that to our hearts. Sink it into our hearts that we might be changed from the inside out. I pray in Jesus' name.